Wow. Happy Easter. He is risen. Powerful so far, man. We just, uh, we love Jesus here. He's, um, he's everything for us. We believe that the resurrection has, has changed everything, and, uh, and hope is real, and hope is eternal, and uh, there's just something unique about today to being able to focus solely on, on the resurrection. You know, we were singing that last song, and there was that, that line that nothing can stand against him. And just how powerful the name of Jesus is. And, and I was just reflecting on that. And um, this isn't part of the sermon, but I guess it is now. And I, I just, I thought about one of my favorite parts of the resurrection story. It's in Matthew chapter 27. And I thought of this because of that, that line, nothing can stand against. And it's when Pilate said, in verse 65, said, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. It's amazing that Pilate's the most powerful man in the world at this time. And he's trying to keep Jesus, the the dead body of Jesus, in the tomb. And so he puts this stone in front of it, puts some guards around it, thinking that that's going to do it. And I, I I thought of this because nothing can stand against, like nothing can keep Jesus away from saving people. Like Pilate had no, had no chance against Jesus. These, these soldiers had no chance against Jesus. Stone had no chance against Jesus. Look, your sin and your shame has no chance to stand against Jesus today. And, and I hope that that is something that, that you feel deeply in your heart that is true, that God loves you, personally loves you, the person sitting in that chair this morning. And man, it just, it just overcame me in that song. <laughs> that Jesus came, that he sought me when I was a stranger, when I was an enemy of his, and all of my shame and all of my sin, nothing could stand against him. And that's why the resurrection is everything for us. So I'm gonna try to get through this sermon here. So let's go, uh, 1 John chapter five. Uh, We are uh, beginning a new sermon series here today. Um, and so as you're turning there, I just want to greet those of you who are uh, first-time guests with us today. Uh, thank you so much for choosing College Park Fishers to worship uh, with us today. We hope that you enjoy uh, today and been praying um, especially that God would meet you in a special way today, whether to uh, bring you closer to Jesus or maybe to meet Jesus for the first time today in a personal um, way. But we are uh, kicking off a new sermon series today where we'll be walking through the book of First John uh, over the next eight weeks or so. And um, here at College Park Church, we believe in the authority of God's word, the relevance of God's word. And so the normal preaching diet is to go through book, books of the Bible, verse by verse. And uh, so that's what we'll be doing over the next uh, couple of weeks, starting um, here today. And so this sermon series is called Be Sure. And we are gonna be looking at really the beautiful reality that we can have assurance that we are saved and that we are loved by God. And that is really the purpose of 1 John. John, the author of of that letter, points out different tests or different signs to be able to determine if you are a genuine follower of Jesus. And so we're excited to be in this sermon series. Um, And if I could just press that a little bit more, um, part of the reason why we're gonna be walking through 1 John, and I know this to be true in my own life, but at the end of the day, what we need more than anything is not just to hear 
that God loves us, not even just to read it from God's word, but we need to be utterly convinced deep inside of our souls that God loves us personally. And that's part of the aim of of this sermon series is for us to wrestle with, like, does God really love me? Like, does does he love me in all my sin and all of my mistakes and all of my issues? Like, what is that what does it even look like? How can I be sure of that? I'm sure you've wrestled with um, just this issue of assurance. Like I call myself a Christian, but so do a lot of other people in the world. How do I know for sure that I'm a genuine follower of Christ? And so that's what we'll be tackling over the next uh, several weeks, and we'll start um, even here this morning. So First John chapter five, you'll notice that we're starting uh, at the end of this letter, and the reason for that is because John actually gives his thesis statement of why he wrote this book in chapter five, verses 11 through 13. So we wanted to start there, and then next week we'll uh, go back to chapter one. Okay, so let's read God's word together. First John chapter five, verses 11 through 13. This is the word of the Lord, it says this. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together and then we'll unpack it together. God, we thank you again for this morning and God, we thank you for a time to gather and to exalt the name of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross and in his resurrection. God, I pray that you would Meet with us here in a special way through your spirit. God, I pray especially for those who are here today and they might be doubting your love for for them. God, people are here today just questioning the purpose of life, why you've made them, God, why you've given them breath to breathe. God, I pray that you would meet them exactly where they are, that you would show them the power of the resurrection that gives us eternal life today. Lord, help me to just make Jesus compelling today. Help me to make him beautiful and soul-satisfying. Lord, help me to be very clear. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, two questions I want to answer uh, during our time here uh, this morning. First question is uh, simply, does God really want us to have assurance of eternal life? Okay, is that... Is that really something that God desires of us to have confidence uh, that we can be saved? Okay, question number two that I'll tackle is how can we have eternal life? Like if that's something that God maybe wants us to be assured of, then what does that look like to have eternal life and to have Jesus as our savior? Okay, there's two questions we'll look at. So let's look at number one. Does God really want us uh, to have assurance of eternal life? Now, Uh, Quickly here, just to point out the obvious, there are some people that believe the answer to that question is no, that God doesn't want us to have assurance of eternal life because that's a way that God can kind of help keep us in line, that if we don't have assurance that God loves us or that we're going to heaven, then that'll actually motivate us to being better people or better Christians. Some people believe, no, there's no way God gives us assurance because then we'll become lazy spiritually, that this is a way that He inspires us to do the right thing. Now, I disagree with that view. I believe that contradicts much of what we see throughout Scripture about uh, what 
uh, we believe God to be, and specifically here in John chapter 5, verse 13, that John explicitly says, as we just read, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Okay, so this is the, the whole point the, uh, of this letter that John is writing this to believers to help them understand how they can know for sure that they have eternal life. Okay, and we'll unpack this more over the next uh, couple of weeks, but John's focus here is to identify different signs in your life that the gospel has come into your life and that it has genuinely changed you and it has saved you. And so even though we see that explicitly in verse 13 here, I wanna provide uh, maybe two additional reasons why it's important that God wants us to have assurance of eternal life, okay? Number one, and we see this here in verse 11, if you just think about the nature of a gift for a moment. At verse 11, John explicitly says that God gave us eternal life. Okay, so eternal life is not something that you can work for. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that God looks at certain people and says, man, I really want this person on my team. No, no, God gives eternal life as a free gift. And so in answering this question, does, does God want us to have assurance of eternal life? Well, you think about the nature of a gift. When you give something to someone, you want them to have assurance that it's theirs, that there are kind of no take backs when you give a true gift. I mean, imagine for a moment if on Christmas morning, if you got people in your family, people in your friend group, different gifts, different presents, and they start opening up those gifts. Some people open up a, a watch or a video game or a t-shirt, and someone asks the question, do we get to keep these gifts? Imagine for a moment if you said, well, I don't know maybe, or maybe I'll have to take them and, and return them back tomorrow. Or maybe I'll give this to other people and we'll just kind of see how the day goes. Like we don't, we don't talk that way as it relates to gifts. When you give a gift to somebody, there are no take backs and you want them to have kind of the reassurance that it is theirs. Well, the same is true as it relates to God and eternal life. That God not only wants us to know that he's made a way for us to have eternal life, but he wants us to have assurance that it is ours given by him. Now, secondly, I think another reason why it's important to know that God wants us to have assurance of eternal life is because real love grows in the soil of security. In other words, real love for God is cultivated where there is assurance of God's love for you to begin with. That when you know with confidence of God's unchanging posture towards you, it actually frees you up to love him genuinely in return. I think this is really important and I find this in my own life as a father of two girls. I've got two daughters, Ellie and Lila, they're four and one. And, um, and I'll just say this in front of you all and my wife would also agree to this, but they're both daddy's girls. Okay, and I don't know how that happened. I wanna believe that they chose that life has nothing to do with how many pieces of uh, Reese's candy I've given them or bites of Taco Bell without Lindsay looking. But we just kind of have a special bond. We've got a special connection. And so as you can imagine, having two daddy's girls, whenever I try to leave the house, it is just an utter breakdown. Like it's almost like World War III breaks out every single time. 
Like I'm, I'm trying to get out the door, you know, headed to a meeting and there's crying, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like I've got both girls like on my legs trying to keep me from, from leaving. And I think like, I think Ellie, the, my four-year-old is really confused every time I leave and I say, I've got to go to work. And she's like, it's not Sunday. Like you, you work one day a week, right dad? Like, you know, <laughs> so I have to explain, no, no, you know, pastors do, you know, other things than just preach. But so I'm trying to leave the house and they're, they're crying, they're begging me to stay. Ellie's in that negotiation stage where she's offering different proposals with me and she's really smart. I'm struggling to like, you know, engage with her in that way. But for me, as a, I'm trying to be a good father. And so before I leave, I'm always trying to reassure them. Okay, so I look them in the eyes and I say, Lila, Ellie, like I love you so much. I hope you have a great day. And then I, I tell them what time I'm gonna be home that day. We say, hey, I'm gonna be home right around dinner time. Like, I'm gonna see you then. You know, or if I have a late meeting, I'll tell them, hey, when you wake up in the morning, daddy will be there. Okay, I think it's important that they have assurance that I'm coming home and, and how I feel towards them. It actually impacts their behavior. Like, they kind of calm down a little bit and they're better behaved for Lindsay throughout the day. Now, imagine for, for a moment if as I'm leaving and they're crying and they're holding on to my legs, if I say to them, Oh, girls, daddy loves you, and I might be home, or I might not. Like, we're just gonna kinda see how this goes today. I might come home to my family, or I might join another family. Like, you'll, you'll just have to wait and see. Like, imagine if, if I said that, and I said, hey, girls, I want you to just think about that today. Talk about that amongst yourselves, and allow that reality to compel you to be better behaved for mommy. Like, there's no way I would do that, because that, that would not create love and loyalty in their hearts towards, uh, towards their dad. Like that would, that uncertainty and that fear, like does daddy love us, is he coming back? That would actually create kind of a fear-based obedience. And that, that fear-based obedience would actually most likely turn into a father-loathing rebellion. And so for me as as an imperfect father, I'm trying to give them assurance, making sure they know they're not orphans. How much more for God, who is the perfect father, does he want his children to know with assurance that he loves them and that that will never, ever change? Look, the point is this, is that real love only grows in the soil of security. And John actually says it best in 1 John chapter 4, 19. He says, we love him, because he first loved us. Like he doesn't say that we love him because he threatens us with hell. He doesn't say that, hey, we love him because we're forced to love him. No, no, we love him because he first loved us. That assurance of God's love for us is what produces love for God in us, not the other way around. Look, everything that we do spiritually grows out of that reality. Like you'll never consistently grow spiritually unless you are utterly convinced that you are God's and God is yours and there are no takebacks. I think assurance in the gospel has a greater power to produce obedience and love in our hearts than the threat of the law could ever do. Like the threat of the law is, is do, 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 perform, 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 and then God might love you. See, that, that only changes behavior. It never cultivates and captivates the heart and the affections. Only God's love can do that. And so if you don't have assurance in your relationship with the Lord, you're, you're gonna live in that relationship with him out of fear. You're gonna interpret 
his love for you based on your performance towards him. And that's not the way God intended our relationship to be. So this first question, does God want us to have assurance of eternal life? Absolutely, yes, God wants us to know that we can be saved. The second question here, and this is directly tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but question two is, well, then how can we have eternal life, right? Like if this is something that God wants us to have assurance of when we have it, then what does that look like to even have uh, eternal life and salvation? Well, look at verses 11 through 13 with me again, and let me just unpack these for us. John says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, now I want you to follow John's argument. Follow his logic here. John says in verse 11 that God has given us eternal life. And this life, this gift is in his son, Jesus. Now you get to verse 12 and he just reiterates that point once again. He says that whoever has the son, whoever has Jesus, has life, has the gift of salvation. So you should ask the question, so what does it mean to have the son? What does that look like? If having the son means that we have eternal life, what does that actually look like? Well, if you look to verse 13, John helps us. Notice who John says he is writing to. John says that he's writing to those who believe in the Son in Jesus. And those that believe in Jesus, those are the ones that can have assurance that they have eternal life. So look, belief in Jesus creates the reality of eternal life in an individual's life. That when you place your hope for eternity solely on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that is how you have eternal life. And so look, this whole thing is based solely on what Jesus has done for us. And the answer to this question, how can you have eternal life? It has everything to do with Jesus. And, and more specifically, it has everything to do what I'll call the great exchange. That the great exchange is, if I could just boil it down to one thing about what Christianity is all about, about why Easter is such a big deal for Christianity, it's because of this concept of the great exchange. Now, what is the great exchange? Well, the great exchange starts with understanding that each and every one of us in this room and throughout the world has something in common, that we all have a sin problem, that we all have offended God, that we all have committed cosmic treason and rebellion against God, the creator of the universe. And so because that is true, we all have the consequences and the judgment of God placed upon us. That our punishment for our rebellion against God is eternal separation from God forever. That, that is the condition of our lives. And yet the reality of what Jesus has done for us is that 2,000 years ago, and you know this story, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to the earth. He lived a sinless perfect life, and then he gets up on a torture tool. He gets up on this cross, something that was, that was reserved only for criminals, and he dies in the place of sinners. Like Jesus Christ, the one, who, the one who created everything, 
the one who has always existed, the one who knows every hair that is on every head. He got up on a cross and he took your sin, he took your shame, he took your guilt, he took all of the wrath of God that was supposed to be on us and he took our place on the cross. And so what is the, what is the great exchange? The great exchange starts with us giving something to God and God giving us something in return. What, what do we give to God? We give Jesus our sin. We give him our shame. We give him our death penalty, and he willingly took it. That Jesus, yes, he experienced all kinds of, of physical pain and suffering on the cross, just pure torture, what they did to him, and yet Jesus also experienced a type of relational suffering on the cross. That Jesus on the cross, as he was Uh, experiencing the wrath of God, he for the very first time experienced being abandoned by God the Father. Imagine that for a moment. The, The perfect son of God who had always experienced this beautiful union with the Father for the very first time on the cross, he felt forsaken by the Father. And Jesus on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus says that on the cross. He's not looking for an answer, but Jesus is somehow expressing the horrors of abandonment in that moment. That Jesus started to feel the full weight of being forsaken by God and feeling the full weight of wrath. Look, this is why we, we celebrate Jesus, because when we were his enemies, when we were sinners, when we had nothing to offer him, that is when Jesus took our place on the cross. And yet the story doesn't end there. The reason why we're here today, the reason why we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ is that three days later, Jesus was raised to life. That Jesus stared death in the face and said, you don't reign, I reign. That Jesus conquered our enemy, Jesus defeated sin, and Jesus put an end to death being finality. So we celebrate Jesus today because of what he accomplished both on the cross and in the resurrection. That Jesus on the cross was abandoned so that you can be accepted. Jesus was deserted on the cross so that you could be welcomed in to the family of God and receive eternal life. And so the beauty of this great exchange is yes, we give him our sin, but in exchange he gives us his righteousness that he gives us eternal life. He gives us his blamelessness, his perfection. And look, that matters because it reminds us that there is nothing that we can do to earn eternal life. There's nothing that God looks at in our lives and says, man, because you're performing so well, I'm gonna give you eternal life. Look, God doesn't grade on a scale. He doesn't look at people who are a little bit more moral than immoral and gives eternal life accordingly. No, no, no. God's standard of acceptance, God's standard is perfection. Look, we all fall short. No one hits that mark. And so in the cross and in the resurrection, we're reminded that we needed something, someone outside of ourselves to cover us with perfection and with righteousness, and that is Jesus. That yes, on the cross, Jesus died to pay for our sins, but in his resurrection, that's how we receive his perfect righteousness. And so look, I'm I'm making such a big deal about the great exchange because 
that is the essence of what it means to receive eternal life. That if you place your faith upon Jesus and turn from your sins, God doesn't look at you and see your sin and your shame. God looks at you and he sees Jesus. He sees someone that has been covered by the blood and the righteousness of Christ. And he says, welcome into my family. Welcome, you may have eternal life. You may have your sins forgiven. Look, so we as Christians, we love this time of year. We love the reality of the cross. We look to the cross as God's cosmic announcement that your sins have been paid in full. We look to the cross and the resurrection because there we see that we can be both fully known and fully loved at the same exact time. But look, we look to the resurrection because the resurrection is what makes eternal life possible. Because the great foe of eternal life is death. And what Jesus did to death is is he defeated death once and for all and he did so comprehensively, he did so undeniably and he did so fully through the resurrection. And so this morning, look, we celebrate the resurrection and Easter, not because Easter is about a New Year's resolution for self-improvement. Easter is not an invitation to come and change some bad habits or to turn over a new leaf. No, the resurrection is about taking people who are dead in their sins and making them alive in Jesus. But the resurrection is about those who had no hope can now have hope fully and have a hope that is lasting for all of eternity. Look, the empty tomb is God's declaration that all the ways that sin damaged the world in our lives will be swallowed up in the victory of Christ. And so John says that we can have eternal life, that we can have eternal life by believing in Jesus which means by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus, you can experience true forgiveness. You can experience a life without fear, a life without condemnation before God. You can experience a type of grace that covers your past, your present, and your future sins, the sins that that you have committed that, that you would probably describe as the very worst sins possible and imaginable, the sins that might be maybe in your skeleton closet that no one else knows about, Jesus paid for those sins. That if you trust in Jesus, all you can know is grace. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we celebrate Jesus today because he takes us who were dead in our sins and he makes us alive in him. And his motivation, according to Romans 5, 8, says that, God demonstrated his great love for us that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. And so that was the motivation for Jesus going to the cross, Jesus resurrecting back to life. It was for God to show how much he loves you. So this morning, I just wanna encourage you not to get wrapped up in maybe the tradition of Easter, to not get wrapped up in maybe the Easter egg hunt that you might do later on this afternoon and get wrapped up in in just celebrating the Easter uh, family traditions that you have, but but to focus on the reality that God loves you. Just to just to rehearse that over your soul today, that God, who knows everything about your life, knows all of your secrets, all of your sin, and yet 
loves you the same. And that we look to the cross and the resurrection, and that's where God says, this is how much I love you. I sent my only son to die for you. And so we know how much the resurrection has changed the world. We, we look at Easter and how many people are celebrating Jesus and how he conquered death. But my question for you today is, has the resurrection of Jesus changed you personally? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you placed your faith upon Jesus to receive eternal life today? Or are you trusting in yourself? Is, is the resurrection just some historical fact that has no bearing on your life today? Look, I know that um, the resurrection can, can feel like something distant and something 2,000 years ago, and it's, it can almost be abstract. And so this morning, we just wanted to share a, a testimony video of someone who worships with us every single week and someone who declares that Jesus has changed them and that they have real and lasting hope. We just wanna show this video testimony for those of you who, who may be here and you're not a Christian, may be here and you're wrestling and wondering, does, does God really love me and is there, is there hope and is there forgiveness for me? And so check out this video testimony by Sarah. My name's Sarah Langford and I'm a recovered alcoholic. I had my last drink August 9th, 2014 and that was the beginning of my spiritual journey. I grew up going to College Park Church when it was College Park Baptist Church, and um, my Sunday school teacher was Dale Shaw, who many of you that are attendees at College Park know, and I can say that his love and desire to please Jesus uh, did not transfer to me growing up. It was a very educational religion, and I did not feel connected to God um, growing up and when I was in junior high I started running around with the wrong crowd and um, that was the start of my turn away from everything I grew up being taught from the age of about 14 or 15 until um, I was 28. I have a history of drugs, sex, and alcoholic drinking for about seven years. I was hopeless as an alcoholic. I drank more and more, uh, starting from uh, my early 20s and uh, into at the point where I was drinking all day, every day. I was drinking at work, um, before work, and just barely getting by. And uh, at the end of my drinking, I even attended Catholic Church for a while with a family member because I just had this feeling that God was going to be the solution. Um, so I did that for a while, but I just wasn't ready. I hadn't hit my bottom yet. And um, then on August 9th, I, I hit bottom and um, I started going to AA. And I got sober in AA and um, I started praying again. And I found God again and I began to trust God, but I still had a big struggle with what they call defects of character. And I didn't feel like I had a real place to turn fear over to, even though I was sober and I had so much going right. I was a mother, you know, I did not feel like I had a real sense of hope in my heart. Um, everything looked hopeful on the outside, but inside it didn't feel right. On November 26th, I attended church with my grandmother and the sermon was titled, Jesus Matters Most. And uh, I knew right away that 
I was in the right place. And all throughout the service, um, the worship, it had me in tears, and I dedicated my life to Christ during that service. And the feeling that filled me, I know it was the Holy Spirit coming to me. And um, I just begged mercy for the sin that I had been living in for 17 years. And I know that God forgave me right away. As soon as I asked, I was just filled with this feeling that I knew was release of the guilt and shame that I've been carrying for so long and trying to cover up uh, in so many different ways. And on February 4th, I was baptized. And um, I just know that I have a new life and a new hope in Christ and um, ready to share that with the world. Um, the good news of his death and resurrection, what that means for us, uh, the hope we have in eternal life. Just such a beautiful story. And we wanted to share that with you today because if you're a Christian, as you were listening to that, like the details of your life might be different, but there's something in your heart that says, yeah, that, that was me. I, I've experienced that, that transformation of being in a hopeless state, and yet God sought me, God found me, God gave me faith to believe. He opened my eyes to seeing the beauty of Jesus, and then God started to change your life. God gave you a new hope and a new future. And if you're a Christian today, you'd say, yeah, that's my story. Yeah, that's, that's what my life is all about. And we wanted to share that with you, even for those of you who are here today and you're not a Christian, that we wanna to proclaim to you that that story can be your story here today. That if you're here and, and you find yourself in a hopeless state, just searching for things to satisfy you, searching for things to fill you, and yet you just come up empty time and time again. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with guilt or shame or you just have no hope. Look, that story can be your story where Jesus can, can be something more than just an abstract person that you've heard about your whole life, but Jesus can be your king, that Jesus can reign on your heart as your Lord and Savior if you place your faith and your trust on him today. Like that is our hope and that is our prayer for you that, that you would not leave this room without making that decision today, bending your knee before Jesus, saying, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. And so if you're here today and you wanna make that decision, we wanna provide different opportunities for you to take that significant step. One step could be, I'll just be down here in the front after the service, would love to talk to you more about what it means to follow Jesus. You can also grab the person next to you and say, how, how do how do I put my faith in Jesus? Can you walk me through that? A person would love to tell you to do that. And the last way, I'm just gonna pray for us now. And I'm gonna walk through maybe a prayer that you can repeat to God in your own heart. Just give you some language to use to place your faith upon Jesus, knowing that a prayer doesn't save you, but it's the posture of your heart. It's your heart of surrender and trust upon Jesus. And he will save you if you call upon the name of the Lord today. So let's pray together. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus on Easter Sunday, I just want you to repeat after me. Say, God, thank you so much for loving me. God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die in my place. God, I confess to you that I am a sinner, that I am unable to save myself, but we thank you that Jesus did all the work for me. 
God, I believe and I put my faith and my trust in Jesus and I receive this free gift of eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name.